This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. This is an historic time. This is going to be a multi-year fight. Why is it taking so long to get a screening test? It is not a hoax. It is real. Something that we have never experienced before. Wash hands, wash hands, wash hands. I mean, you're the scientist. You're going to have to tell me. (laughs) Welcome, welcome to Science Rules Coronavirus Edition. I'm your host, Bill Nye, and this is the series that brings you the latest analysis and the science of this pandemic to keep you informed prepared, and calm. We are still all in this pandemic together, my friends. And as of today, more than 7 million Americans have been infected with the coronavirus. Of course, this is a global pandemic. And by the time you hear this, we will likely have reached 1 million deaths from this virus around the world, more than 204,000 of which are here in the United States. For months now, We've been hearing about COVID vaccines being developed under Project Warp Speed. There have been promises that one could be ready before the November election. Is that realistic? And will the vaccine be effective and safe? So here to help us figure all this out is Dr. Eric Topol. He is the chair of innovative medicine and a professor of the Scripps Research Institute in La Jolla, California. Dr. Topol, welcome to Science Rules Coronavirus Edition. May I call you Eric? Of course, Bill. Great to be with you. uh, Thank you. Uh, Thank you for taking the time. So, look, first, will we really have a vaccine by November? Well, it's possible at the end of November. That might be the earliest time, realistically, without some very strange maneuver that would involve politics. More likely to be December and January. But we will have vaccines that are safe and effective by these phase three definitive trials in november 2020 like coming right up it's possible i mean that i think the earliest we might see is the end of november more realistically december or january yes so people have been saying january for a long time but anyway so this vaccine that you think is going to come through which what style will it be you know that we hear about rna we hear about conventional what do you what's the style that you think is going to work Yeah, well, there's three main types out there now. There's the uh, RNA, as you mentioned. There's two of those. Uh, What's the difference between one and the other? Well, they're all different ways to rev up your immune system, uh, your antibody response, as well as, uh, in some cases, a a marked T-cell response. So the mRNA is Pfizer uh, and Moderna. Then there's the two adenovirus vaccines, one of which is Johnson & Johnson. The other is the AstraZeneca or Oxford University. 
And then there's a protein vaccine, uh, Novavax. All five of those are into phase three, uh, and that doesn't even include a, a few other uh, globally in China uh, uh, trials that are ongoing. mRNA, what is that? Well, instead of using a virus, this is just taking parts of that without any risk of giving the virus per se. So it's another way as opposed to a protein or an attenuated, uh, you know, basically a, a virus that is no longer alive, different ways to stimulate a person's immune system. This is messenger RNA. That's right. So this is a new look. Uh, the others we, we are familiar with using a protein or using a, uh, a nanovirus vector, those that we've had before, yeah. You said adenovirus, like yeah. my adenoids, like my sinuses? <laughs> no, no, adeno. I probably mumbled for you, but That's adenovirus good. vectors. So certain adenoviruses are being used to get the, to get the immune What's system. What's an adenovirus? Uh, it's, a, it's a common cold virus, uh, just like some of the coronaviruses. Most people have been exposed to different types of adenoviruses during the course of their lifetime. Yeah, there's 60 common colds running around at any time, right? Right. Something like that. Right. So this that is a conventional-style vaccine, right? That would be one that you'd expect. And, and indeed, the, the two that I mentioned are using that, that uh, strategy. And then what's protein? What's Well, the protein one, that's the Novavax one that just started phase three trial uh, in, in uh, England. Uh, and that's basically another way to get at this, which is just using a protein uh, that's derived from the virus, uh, but using that specifically to uh, incite the immune response. So is one kind of vaccine going to be better than the other, in your opinion? Is like well, that's a really important question, and we won't know that for quite some time. So your earlier question, Bill, is when might we have a vaccine that's mm. at least preliminarily safe and effective? That could be in the next few months. But to know, we, there are no comparative trials and you really can't draw from one vaccine program to another because really? there are different people, different endpoints, different everything. So you just yeah. don't know. Wait a second. You're saying that the outcomes or the people in the study who have different responses, you can't compare one to the other? Really? Yeah, so here's, a, here's why that's so important. Because the endpoint to say if the vaccine is working is that it suppresses infections. And it turns out that across the board, there's very different definitions of infections. Oh, so, for mm. example, in the Pfizer program, you just have to have one symptom, like a sore throat or a headache and a positive test for the virus. Whereas in other programs, you know, it's more stringent. So, you know, we'd like to you see... You have to be sicker? Yes, to <laughs> to exactly. To, to get the, the vaccine to qualify? Well, the, the point about did it work would be reflected by that it suppressed serious illness, you know, moderate to severe, rather than just a common cold type symptom. So the sign of the, uh, the vaccine uh, working uh, varies differently according to each of these uh, vaccine trials, unfortunately. Is this the mythic thing, efficacy versus effectiveness? Well, there's... There's a spectrum there. Yes, efficacy would be defined that you're suppressing infections. You know, effectiveness would also be seen as when you are getting the population immunized. You know, if we can get 70, 80 percent of our population immunized, are we are we basically heading towards uh, eradication of the virus, the toll of the virus? And so the eventually it's not just about getting a vaccine. It's much bigger challenge than that 
turns out we're going to nail that one in the months ahead. But the bigger question, of course, is the acceptance of the vaccine. Are the anti-vaxxers like messing with this? And yes. Are people well, messing with the uh, CDC report, tampering with its reports and stuff? Well, uh, well, good question. You know, we don't have good evidence or any evidence that there's been tampering with the reports, but there are certainly a significant fraction of Americans who are opposed to vaccines or they just are very hesitant or refusers. And that's uh, now could be as many as half the people. We have to prevail over that because the, the benefit, the ultimate effectiveness of the vaccine is how many people we get to take it. Are you working against the anti-vaxxer? Are you working to get people to accept it? Or are you, that's not your business? Well, in, in indirectly, what I'm most worried about, Bill, is the uh, politics interfering and that would erode the trust. So we, we well, can't that's just allow what that I'm talking happen. about. When I said yeah. tampering, yeah, I, I, that's yeah. So when we about. have uh, both, uh, you know, a president says we'll have the vaccine before election day, or we have a company that says we'll have vaccine, we'll know if it works by the end of October. These are statements that we want to avoid because trust here is going to be propelled by people knowing that, you know, there's no shortcuts everything was done right. And the proclamation of safety and efficacy is with very strong evidence, compelling evidence. What happened with the individual who got some spinal uh, infection or injury? Yeah. So in one of these programs, uh, the AstraZeneca one, there were two people who had a neurological... What style of vaccine is AstraZeneca? That's an adenovirus, right. Adeno, okay. Conventional. Right. Right. And two of the uh, people in that program had neurologic complications and both were, at least by some reports, because it's not been fully disclosed, had this so-called transverse myelitis, which is in the spectrum of multiple sclerosis. And uh, the first uh, person who had this, it was deemed by the people reviewing it that it wasn't due to the vaccine. It's just something, something else that happened to be in that individual. It's possible. We don't know. And not enough details have been released. So, so in the U.S., this trial is still on hold as we speak. So we just don't know. Wow. God, that's a huge question. And that leads to people wondering about it and leads the anti-vaxxer movement becomes that more anti-vax. Exactly. Because people, if, they, if there's a risk, even if it's a very low risk, you know, one in a thousand, but we're talking about- One in a thousand is not that low. Right, exactly. Your point, because you're already inferring that 100 million people will take this. And so yeah. one in a thousand is actually going to be a large number of people who could be affected. How much of a problem would it be to create a vaccine that doesn't do much, that isn't very effective? Well, that is a big issue because the FDA standard for the vaccine is that it's 50% effective, 50% efficacy. But it could drop down because that's, uh, it, you know, the, the math here could actually drop down to 30% and still fulfill that criteria. That If it's 31% effective, that's not a lot to write home about. So we, we want a vaccine that's, you know, 90% effective in, in, in protection. So that, that's an Compared issue. to other vaccines, to polio, is polio 90% effective? Uh, it's, it's up there. It's a pretty high. I mean, you know, some of the best vaccines we have are in that 90% plus category. But the flu vaccine, you know, that's in the 40, 30 some percent category. So we don't want something that's like flu. There are some favorable characteristics of this virus. I know it's hard to believe, 
There are some good things about this virus. It has evolved very slowly. There's not any- It doesn't mutate very much. Mutate at least in any significant aspect. So getting a vaccine that will nail this is much more conducive. And it's glycans that are part of its, you know, makeup are Uh, well suited. What's glycans? Yeah, those are the sugar coating aspects of the virus per se. And they're very favorable for um, developing a highly effective vaccine, the package. 50% talking about this mythic, mythic thing, Mm -hmm. uh, herd immunity, do, do, do. (laughs) If you had 50% effectiveness and then some fraction of the population, say 5%, who had been infected and recovered, then you have about over half of the population essentially immune. That greatly reduces the chance of somebody being infected encountering somebody who is susceptible to infection, right? Right. So 50% is still way better than nothing. Exactly. And that's why the FDA and the the World Health Organization adopted that threshold. The only thing I wish is that they had actually been a little bit tighter on any infection rather than a more, you know, uh, advanced infection and illness, because the more serious the illness that's suppressed by the vaccines, the more compelling is the evidence that it's really working. So what do you mean with the spectrum of symptoms? Yeah, because if you just have a headache or a sore throat, uh, and that's counted as an endpoint infection, that's not as impressive as you had to go to the hospital because you were pretty sick. We'll be back right after this. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. What are the risks writ large? Yeah, well, there are these vaccines. There's definitely a list of risks. The one that I mentioned earlier when you were asking about neurologic complications, that has occurred with other vaccine programs like a Guillain Barre and these, you know, basically neurologic complications that uh, are thought to be some type of untoward immune response that affects the nervous system. But the bigger question is whether you would see 
the immune system again going haywire, like a cytokine storm where it set off a, it's, we call it a fancy medical term, immunopathologic reaction. Oh, I get it. Uh, yeah. Antibody uh, dependent uh, enhancement. So instead of protection, when you get the vaccine that you're set up for this potential immune system uh, bad reaction, and that could make somebody you know quite sick. So we don't know about this. That that has been seen in some vaccine programs in the past. The chances are low. But when you give a vaccine to hundreds of millions of people, if not even billions, that's something you might see. There, there are things like serum sickness and other possibilities out there. Again, Bill, just to emphasize, the chance of these are really low, but we won't know until we have these trials with follow-up complete. Wow. So when do you think the trials will be complete? Well, we'll know a lot of this in the early part of next year because by then, you know, there's these trials are really large. They have between 30 and 60,000 people in them, and they're all going to have extended follow-up. So we'll know. We may not know how long the vaccine lasts in terms of do you need a booster every year or two, but we'll know about the safety. Yeah. I got to tell you, that's so weird. I had chicken pox as a kid, and then you figure your immune for a long time, I just got, I'm of a certain age, I got a booster for chickenpox shingles. Yeah. You guys are, by you guys, professionals in this business are thinking you may need a booster every year? It's possible. Wow. I mean, if you had to guess, knowing these other family of coronaviruses and what we've learned from the SARS and the MERS and the other viruses, it's probably going to be a, a booster at least every year or two. Yes. So that adds expense. Yes. Right. And it adds a commitment to vaccines, which we need to be nurturing now. Yeah. So how would you nurture a commitment to vaccines? Well, starting to get the public educated that this is uh, this is actually exciting and positive, and it's our exit strategy, and it's return to pre-COVID life eventually. Yeah, wouldn't you like to not wear a mask every Yeah, year? well, you know, that's a good point you're bringing up. We're going to be wearing masks through most of next year because it turns out these these vaccines don't achieve what's called sterilization immunity. So unlike a vaccine that would block your, your, in your nose, your mucosa lining of your nose, these vaccines are not uh, designed to do that. So you could still harbor the virus in your nose and give it to others. Wow. And so that you could be a carrier of the virus and having effective vaccine response. So until we have... Wow, wait a minute, people. Yeah. You have an immune response. Mm-hmm but you're giving other people the virus. You could. Wow, what a drag. You see, your immune response is in your blood. Yeah. You got a shot in the arm, right? But it doesn't, uh, doesn't clear up your, your res- upper respiratory tract, particularly the nasal mucosa. So the point is, we could be seeing a lot of carriers of this virus when we, as the vaccine programs are marching forward, you know, in terms of getting people towards this population immunity story. But the point that can't be emphasized enough is, we got to be getting used to mass for a stretch. It's not just for the next few weeks. We're talking about many more months, if not a, if not at least a year. Um, let me ask you about this problem where wealthy, or just say people who have access to regular medical care were, are much more likely to get the vaccine ahead of people who don't. You know, where middle-class wealthy people are going to be better off than poor people. Same old doggone right, thing. Right, right. Do you guys, are you working on solving that problem? Well, this, you're bringing up a critical issue because the people who have been hit the hardest with this uh, pandemic 
uh, in the United States, especially, have been uh, the people of color, the people of you know who are more indigent, and all the people that are not getting access to care or are coming into the healthcare system late. Uh, the, this inequity issue is is uh, a core of the problem. We have to do everything possible. The other thing, Bill, is that not enough of these people are in the vaccine trials, and it's certainly possible they could have a different response to the vaccine. So more effort has to be done. Good news is that recently some of the trials have now specifically uh, increased their enrollment in the minority groups. But we also have to do more than uh, just redouble our efforts to get these people that you're discussing, that you're bringing up, they should be the first ones to get vaccinated. Certainly, uh, they, they should be considered high risk. Here's another big hole in the story, which is the aged. There's very few people in these trials that are in, they get in over age 75, for example. They are very high risk if they get uh, covid the difference between these trials that are select people, the participants, versus the real world is we could see things that crop up as safety issues that are only when you uh, expose millions of people and people who are different. So, for example, very little work right now is on children and pregnant women and aged and minorities. And we need to know more about these folks because their response uh, is really important. It just seems to me intuitively there must be some inherent genetic thing that each of us has that enabled our ancestors to live through the Spanish flu. And this must account for why some people have severe symptoms and some people don't. You're you're absolutely right. You know, last week uh, in in science, it was published a pretty striking uh, advance, which is that some people have interferon antibodies. And it explains why they get so desperately sick, more men than women, which is another reason males do worse with COVID than women. And so that's one. There are other, you know, interferons are our first line of defense. And so we are seeing genetic defects and these autoantibodies that basically disable our interferon first line of defense. So you're right. But that remember, the pandemic is only like eight, nine months old. And the science is advancing quickly. And over time, we're going to learn more about the question you're asking. Well, so here's the question. Is there going to be, a, are there going to be a family of vaccines? Like you, you test the individual, test his or her DNA, I'm presuming with a blood test, or maybe some crazy cheek swab, and then you tune the vaccine to that person. Is that also going on right now? Well, it isn't going on, but here you go with another really uh, insightful question. So you know that in the U.S. trials that I mentioned, they exclude people who've had a known COVID infection, but they do antibody checks to see later, you know, after they've enrolled. And about one, only 1% of people actually have been exposed by having an antibody test positive. So in the United States right now, about 15% of people have now been uh, infected. Now, not, a, not a, of course, a large infected portion. Infected or exposed? Well, they've had an infection. That's okay. why they mounted an antibody. Okay. They might not have been an illness. And as you know, a lot of people have no symptoms. Apparently, so yeah. The, the question is looming is, how do these people that have already had an infection, how do they do when they get the vaccine? Because right now, like you said, there's no test that's going to be contemplated for people uh. that unknowingly have had COVID now they get the vaccine and they may even again get exposed to covid by 
another, you know, subsequent time. So there are so many unknowns and there's right now no individualized programs like you're alluding to. So how about this? China and Russia say they've got vaccines. Right. What's going on with that? Well, that's a real bypass, I should say. So both those countries have put out their vaccines on very limited data, what we call, you know, phase one, two data, where there's preliminary, very preliminary evidence. And they're basically doing kind of in the midst of giving it to large portions of proportion of their uh, populations, they're learning more about their vaccines. But that's not a good way to do this because it could be that those vaccines aren't safe or aren't effective. So they basically jumped the gun and they're, they're doing things with their vaccines that would not be contemplated here. Are, is there an anti-vaxxer movement in China and Russia? Uh, I think there's a small anti-vaxxer, but nothing like what we've experienced in the U.S. I mean, we have the worst uh, situation here, but, you know, it, it, China and, and Russia and most other countries, it's a very small minority. We're talking, you know, single digit percent of people and not a strident as much as here. Because uh, here, even the small the percent that we have are very uh, outspoken about it, and uh, it's polarized here much more than it should be. When this thing winds down, someday it will. Will it be just like another flu in five years? That's the hope: is that it's really managed well. It's, it's rare that people are getting sick from COVID. You know, hopefully we'll see that you know by 2022 in the next you know year and a half. So yeah, I, I think that we're going to get. We're going to prevail over this uh, ultimately because, you know, the science here has been extraordinary, not just the quality, but the velocity. And so, you know, we have a path to get, uh, manage this, contain it. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, we didn't do a very good job in this country from the get-go to get ahead of it. But at least now with what is happening these days, we can see a path where just as you say, not taking five years, I don't think, but maybe a couple of years to get really a very, you know, excellent containment. If you were king of the forest, what would you do? What would you, is there a thing or a set of things you would get done? Besides the vaccine programs that I would tighten them up uh, with respect to the severity of illness that we want to suppress. How would you, how would you tighten them up? Tighten well, up every one of these programs in that has an endpoint, it's called the secondary endpoint moderate to severe illness, uh-huh. I would flip that and make that the primary endpoint because that just gives us more compelling evidence about how well, and it only will take weeks more, maybe a couple of months more to get to that point. So in other words, the more severe the symptoms, the more effective the vaccine can be shown to have been. Exactly. Is that right? Exactly. Wow. Cool. So is there anything else specifically about vaccines as you as king of the forest would get on? Well, I'd like to, you know, really get going with all these the holes. That is, make sure we have uh, minorities fully represented in the trials instead of getting short uh, drift. The idea of getting pregnant women and children and the elderly, you know, to have people well over age 75 in trials. So we need to cover all the bases. And right now there's just too many holes. Wow. So we just got to hustle. Yes. We got to get her done. We got to so get her done. As king of the forest, who needs to hustle? The CDC, the FDA? Well, the podcast hosts? A lot of these trials are, as, as you mentioned in the outset, uh, are part of this Operation Warp Speed. I don't like that name, by the way. It's, it could denote something that could be warped because here we are uh-huh. in gender trust and people think it could be a rush job. We don't want yeah. a rush job. 
a lot of the trials are under that umbrella and they have, you know, one data safety monitoring board, the oversight board for all these trials. That might be good. But there are also trials that are being run independently, like the Pfizer trial that may be trying to go uh, potentially through shortcuts. So we don't want any brush job. We want to get this done right. Because as you can imagine, Bill, if you have one program that goes down for some reason, or announces things prematurely, it could affect the entire landscape. Everybody's going to think, everybody, all the vaccine manufacturers don't know what they're doing. The CDC doesn't know what it's doing. The FDA doesn't know what it's doing. Everybody doesn't. Right. Boy, that's really important. Thank you, Eric. Our guest today has been Dr. Eric Topol. He is the chair of Innovative Medicine and a professor at the Scripps Research Institute. Leave us a voicemail with your questions. The number is 201-472-0785. You can also write to me at askbillnye.com. And my friends, this is a pandemic. It's global. It's everybody. We are all in this together. And so more than ever, everyone, science rules. If you like Science Rules Coronavirus Edition, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. Helps us out, helps other people learn about the show. So thank you. Science Rules Coronavirus Edition is produced by Harry Huggins and Corey S. Powell. Our editor is Tracy Samuelson. Our engineer is Luz Fleming, who also mixed this episode. Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. Special thanks also to Casey Halford. Chris Bannon is the chief content officer at Stitcher. And at Stitcher, everyone, now more than ever, science rules. Three more things. Get tested, wear a mask, and wash your hands. Stitcher. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.